Oh, he's doing it again. Worse than ever now. I walk down the hall and all I hear from his study is 236, 237, 238. Now, the dark rooms, I can handle anything that keeps the electric bill down. And this whole needing to be invited in thing, well, let me tell you, that has made for an easy end to a few arguments. But the other day, Georgie, I don't know, I heard this incessant counting. 239, 240, 241, and I just slammed his door open and said, for Christ's sake, Harold, do you have to waste all of the rice in this house when I was planning to cook risotto tonight? Anyway, honey, how was your trip in? <laughs> Welcome to the Marmoset Chronicles, a personal retrospective, a podcast where this week we're talking about Diagnosis Aquamarine, a movie with a subplot where the main character's dad has a medical condition where he believes he is a vampire, or maybe he actually is one. I'm Jay, and I'm joined as always by Kirsten. How are you doing, Kirsten? Hi, Jay. You know, the world is a real crazy place right now. I know this is going to be like three or four weeks delayed, so I won't hate <laughs> it too much. I'm sure in three or four weeks the world is still going to be a mess but we always have fiction right yeah <laughs> the, the 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 delusions of fiction are grander than the delusions of reality it's not a line from this but it sounds like it could be yeah i so <laughs> so this is this is the first movie where we start to get into sort of capital c canon mm-hmm first movie where sort of the interpersonal drama around it starts to get really obvious. <laughs> and this is the first movie that I think could be described on its own as infamous. Yeah, I think so. And just so uh, so Jay, I decided to give myself a thought exercise before we before we sat down to record this today. Mm -hmm. I sat down at my kitchen table and I put a piece of paper in front of me, and I gave myself a five-minute timer. And in that five minutes, uh, I made a list of all of the TV shows or movies I could think of off the top of my head that directly reference in homage or parody this movie in particular. Oh, how how long was that particular uh, scroll of papyrus there? Um, you you, you want me to? Uh, I could. I have this piece of paper in front of me. Do you want me to just rattle this off really fast? Oh, I would love that. Hmm. Okay, are you ready? The Simpsons at least twice. How I Met Your Mother. Seinfeld. Fool's Gold, starring Matthew McConaughey. Gravity Falls. Degrassi, the first season only. Friends. Zoe 101. Toy Story 2. Chronicle. <laughs> did you see that movie? It came out in 2012. I did. Spider-Man 2. The Tobey Maguire ones. The Lost <laughs> Boys. Courage the Cowardly Dog. Possibly Steven Universe. I haven't seen that show, but I saw a clip that made me think it, do it does reference this movie. It does. Uh, totally does. Short-lived live-action Cartoon Network series, Unnatural History. The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, as told by Ginger. Godzilla, one of the more recent movies. 16 Candles. Dude, Where's My Car? Doctor Who, Community, and High Fidelity. Uh, I, I want to correct you on one of those. The Godzilla one was Shin Godzilla, which is the recent one directed by um, the director of Neon Genesis Evangelion, which which just okay. an, an extra abstraction more bizarre. All right, and obviously, because uh, I'm sure I'm sure people will be like, "Well, what about this thing that you missed?" Uh, this is only what I could come off up come up with off the top of my head in five minutes. If you got more, hop in the Discord. Oh, Orange Grove's Discord. Come in there and have a good time. But I think this gives this this gives a uh, a an idea of just how referenced and influential this movie is. Absolutely. I mean, like. I, you know, I said to you last week, and I meant it, this one's my favorite. I, it's a great series, but this one's my favorite, um, which I almost feel like is like, the, you know, it's like saying Empire Strikes Back is your favorite Star Wars. It's one, correct, but also two, so obvious that it almost doesn't need to be said. But I, you know, yeah. it, it is my favorite. Like, I, I, I think it begins to embrace the, I know I referenced, I think I referenced Tim Burton in our last episode in some context. Yeah. I'm going to do it again here. Um, this movie, so like early Tim Burton, early to mid even, like even, I don't know, Tim Burton earlier on in his career is very good at portraying people as even if they are extremely bizarre, not as just objectified by that bizarreness, never as just mm -hmm. falling into an archetype. Um, Ed Wood is really good for that. I think that's his best yeah. movie. Um, and I think it's really good for that. This movie does a really good job of that too, in terms of like 
So uh, Obstacle Core is obviously an extremely strange movie. Um, mm-hmm. It's wild and bizarre. Rooftop ballerinas, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. This one feels like the the ways in which Laz Patilla wants to alarm you and make you feel weird have been matured a little bit. And the ways yeah. in which they mature reach like this perfect like fermentation here. And he really is able to apply that that to this story and i think that's important this isn't like just a uh an exercise in tone this is this Mm -hmm. this is a real plot that builds and every single part of it builds to that uh that really just iconic climax most of the things i just rattled off if they are comedies are parodying how do you say that word parodying 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 that climactic scene yeah i mean yeah l- like even just visually um I-, I think at least a couple like, like the steven universe one you mentioned that is because there's an episode of steven universe that mirrors the big opening shot on the the uh the house that most of this movie takes place in as seen from the backyard that like it, the, you know so it, you know in this movie the climax sort of begins with that shot and then ends with the same shot but what it looks like after everything so that yeah. Steven universe episode does the same thing with just the visuals and okay. that that look is just so iconic like when you talk oh, yeah. about just set design i i'm in love with the set design of this movie and the way in which the set is shot in this movie because it's almost all in this house it is almost all in georgie's parents house and you know, like from what's up with his dad to what's up with his mom and to, you know, the remnants of him and his sisters, former lives there, they're still around. And the the, the stuff that his aunt leaves around, like there are so many things going on in this house that it is absolutely a character of its own. Yes, absolutely. And um, to the point where you need to pay attention to Everything in every shot. Everything is there for a mm-hmm. reason. Oh, everything course, is very yeah. deliberately placed. Uh, and I, I'm sure. Again, we're not. We we really need to like avoid being sort of sucked into scene by scene analysis here. Yeah, because I know us, and I know we want to do that. <laughs> this, you know, we're not doing a shot by shot analysis here, but there is just so much in the backgrounds, and there's so much in the weird, subtle camera movements. Where mm-hmm. there's a couple times where um, it's almost like there's a character holding the camera, or the char- or the camera itself is representing a physical person in the room. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the the tricks that happen with that, and there, there's points where you think it's one thing, it's another, right? So yeah. like, one scene I always think about, this movie's so interesting because it's the first one that isn't always, well, no, I'm sorry, that's not true. It's the, it's, it's the first one that's kind of liberal with not always keeping track of Georgie. Like in the first mm-hmm. one you have, you know, the, the scene where, uh, where Paul kills, Georgie's sister. In the second one, you have the opening with, you know, the bank heist on the boat and the two, the two uh, robbers getting away. This one, like those are very much like bottled up in singular scenes. This one, we bounce around. We we move to his mom at points. We move to his dad at points. We move to undeterminable figures at points where you're not really sure who you're watching doing what. Um, My favorite scene in this movie. No, but yeah, maybe my favorite scene in this movie is, um, so you've got that those big windows looking into the backyard, and there's the one scene that's shot from inside the house of uh, of Georgie's mom standing against the window, looking out the window. It's this beautiful sunlight, so it's really just her silhouette. And there's another. It looks like there's another silhouette in the frame, and she just starts having this monologue that eventually breaks into her shouting about how she doesn't feel that it's fair that people that 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 her her daughter died and she didn't even get to find out how it happened until later it's this very human moment in a character that i've heard assholes on reddit sometimes dehumanize very horribly and the whole time it seems like she's talking to someone and then you hear a door open and you see a very large pair of hands reach out and grab what you think has been the silhouette of a person but was actually one of the aunt's dolls that was just placed in the frame against the light in this amazing way and yeah. he picks it up and it's Georgie picking it up and he goes, who are you talking to in here? I heard shouting and she just goes, oh, no one, nothing. It's never really a, like that, that visual comes back, but like that, that explosion of emotion never does. 
I, uh, I, I love that scene and the way it's constructed. That blew my yeah. mind when I was like 15. Like, you know, that, that absolutely blew my mind. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that we could talk a lot about how Laz writes and presents that character, Georgie's mom. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure. Uh, this is one of the things that, like, we're going to rehash a lot of stuff by talking about this particular character. This is the character that everybody loves to pick apart with little tiny tweezers. Yeah, no, and, and Isabella is, is incredibly nuanced. Like, there is so much physical act, like... They really do a good job of, you know, making you believe that she is Georgie's mom and Georgie is her son. And this movie, I feel like, is mostly about their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, through grief and not knowing how to handle things and also the someone maybe trying to break into the house and then how that evolves. But, like, I she is such an interesting character because she... Whenever she's talking... She is in control. And you can watch that in the way her face changes, in the way she holds herself. Like, oh my God, it's so good. And then, and then, yeah, when she's not in control is when she's silent. And that's why I like that scene of her talking by herself is that mm-hmm. is the only point, other than when she's describing uh, shouting at Georgie's dad, like that is the only time she gets that mad. And yeah. That's because she she wants to be in control, you know? Like, she wants to be in control of herself. And I think control is a gigantic theme of this series, but self-control in the face of everything is, like, that character's tenant. Mm-hmm. And watching how that grows is just, I, I don't know. It's unbelievable. I think it's one of the yeah. best performances ever put on film. I really do. All right. Um, I, I think I burn myself out talking about this character more than most people do because I... That's um, fair. I honestly don't find her as sympathetic as I think you do. Um, hmm. I know that's kind of the sort of accepted, I, uh, the, hmm. kind of the accepted sort of interpretation of her is as a more sympathetic character. Um, I don't think that you, you should give that kind of pass to that kind of bad parenting, no matter how justified it is. Yeah. Oh no. And, and I agree with you and I'm not here to give that pass to it. I, that's interesting. I, I don't know if I sympathize with her. Like I, I sympathize with her in the sense that she's, you know, something she's going through is the fact that her daughter died two movies ago and it's being brought up again now. Two movies and that ago? is an awful thing for a mo- yeah, and that and that's an awful thing for a, a parent to go through. But I, I don't know if I sympathize with her beyond that because, like, like you're saying, she is a terrible parent. Like we've heard about that with Georgie before this movie, and we see it a lot in this movie. Yeah. So I, I, I agree with you, is what I'm saying. I, I think I yeah. agree with you, but I find her character intensely interesting anyway, which is a problem I have where I get fascinated by characters who are terrible people. Yeah, that, that, and that's just human. Everybody likes. Yeah. Everybody gets kind of fascinated with characters who are terrible people. That's that's Some why people Breaking are... Bad is popular. <laughs> Still haven't seen that. Still haven't seen Breaking Bad. It's good. Um, <laughs> what I also think that it's very interesting that Patillo chose to tell this really like you know grounded human story about control and how you feel about your family and grief and guilt and then put it next to a storyline about a man who thinks he's a vampire or might actually be a vampire. Uh, I kind of like, I'll be honest with you, I kind of like the interpretation that he's actually a vampire. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Uh, I I only said and might be because I felt like that was a better way to introduce it. He is absolutely a vampire. (laughs) Which does, like, lead to the implication that there's just vampires in this world. (laughs) Yeah, I. which isn't that... Okay, let us really ponder for a moment that the idea of vampires existing, at least for me, is more funny almost than like the rooftop ballerinas and everything. Like it almost feels more ridiculous that this, you know, comparatively more grounded thing is stranger. Yeah, I I think, you know, actually a lot of stuff in the later movies makes a lot more sense if you consider that some of the people who did them might have been vampires. Sure, absolutely. Or even in the earlier ones, like you could, what oh, if- uh, Paul Harris is yeah, a vampire. Yeah, I was about to say. 
<laughs> what if Paul Harris is like a pent up vampire and you just never see him sucking the blood? <laughs> this this theory has definitely been talked about before. I feel like I've read shit about this before. I, I, yeah, I, I, I do enjoy that theory a lot. I'm not married to it, but I like it a lot. <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's hard to uh, be married to any theory in a uh, series with this much capital D discourse. Absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, the moment, the moment where it becomes clear to me that the dad is the vampire, a lot of people say that, like, in the climax, there are, you know, Georgie's dad's study gets broken into, he looks up in this very strange tilted angle shot that is not Las Patillo-y at all typically, but is very, very stark there. Um, you know, we see someone going in and not coming out and the dad wiping blood off his face. And so the debate has always been, did his dad kill that guy and then just bite him because he thinks he's a vampire? Or did he suck the guy's blood because he is a vampire? I love that, but even before that, just like um, there, there's uh, there's the point early in the movie where the where uh, where Isabella tells Georgie not to touch the silver, referring to some silverware, and then you uh. you see the dad just drop it, and for a moment it's like, oh god, <laughs> am I poisoning myself? Which is very funny. Like it, it's it's. Yes. And they don't oh, replay that. It's not a comedy that is about the dad thinking he's a vampire. It is a somber movie just with that subplot in it. It's there, there's there are a lot of there are a lot of funny parts of this movie. Sure. Um there, there, there's a lot of comedy in just the Marmoset Chronicles in general. Um yeah. Laz is very good at these like sharp little turns of dialogue that um sort of come out of nowhere in the middle of a of a very serious movie and you're like, oh fuck yeah, that's hilarious. Which I think is nice because I think that's kind of how you know, real life is. Um, I've never really been in a si- in, in a serious situation where somebody hasn't tried to like crack a joke to relax the mood a little bit. Yeah, um, that I think that's just a thing that happens, and that you that I, I and I think a lot of movies have a hard time finding that balance. Uh, I think if you tr- sometimes try to artificially create that balance, you get um, you get the Flash in the Justice League movie. <laughs> There's a lot of moments like that in this movie and it balances it out really well. It's also the fact that this that this movie's sort of like these like three or four subplot vignettes swirled together to create one story. Like you said, there's this there's this um ongoing plot point of there's of this stalker trying to get into the house. So in mm-hmm. the background, you'll just you'll just straight up see someone like trying to pick a lock on a window. And you're sitting there like, what? Well, and also the fact that that happens in scenes with people in the rooms that that's happening. And like, it's not like he's trying to be discreet. It's broad daylight in some of them. It's just, it's so obvious that it makes you start to think, wait a minute, that wouldn't be happening then, but it's all purposeful. Like there's a reason it's happening in very stark visuals where you wouldn't normally expect to see that. Yes. And so, okay. To sort of move to a kind of a different subject, if that's all right. Sure. This is also, as I said at the beginning, this is where the kind of people around the movies and Laz himself start to be more in the public eye. Mm -hmm. We start to get some of this like weird information about Laz. Do do you have to read the movie differently if you, um, if you, you know, read some of the stuff that Laz has said about his own family? Can you do a death the author thing here? This is, if you believe the behind-the-scenes footage, he went sort of batshit on this set. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This oh, is- and I do believe that behind-the-scenes footage. I mean... <laughs> I- the interviews, the drop... the Was it a pineapple or a watermelon? It was- a pineapple or a watermelon? It was a pineapple. It was absolutely a pineapple because... Uh, there's some joke in one thing that makes a joke about this movie where someone's wearing a shirt with pineapples on it and gets dropped. Like someone is picked up while wearing a shirt with pineapples on it and Got gets it. dropped in a room that looks like that room. <laughs> so fucking silly. It is very silly, but uh, this is where, like, this is where kind of the mythology of Laz Patillo, uh, wonder kind director, and absolute crazy person begins to kind of hit the tabloids. Yes. This is, this is where my, my, one, you know, one of my theses at this point for this show of like asking what the crew and cast saw in him and his vision throughout it is really challenged because this is the one where they, where, you know, 
some of the actors who had been, you know, actor singular really, but like the people who had been around for all of them so far were watching their friend go a little, a little crazy. And were probably wondering, do we need to like try and intervene? Do we need mm-hmm. to just go along with this? You know, and, and they made the decisions they made and they made the movie they made. Yeah. I mean, the Christ, like that, that video, I I'm glad it's not in the behind the scenes footage, but it, it did wind up surfacing on the internet decades later of mm-hmm. him in the bathtub, Las Patillo laying down in the bathtub in the, the house, just crying. Yeah. And yeah. someone, yeah. someone with a camera comes by and goes, Mr. Patillo, are you okay? And he is just like wailing. Like it, it's a, okay. So some media figures, I think are sort of off the rockers as performance art. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. I, I thought, um, I turned out to be very wrong about this. I thought that's what Kanye West was doing for a long time. Yeah, I, I think a lot he, of us did. I thought he was being kind of insane as kind of a performance art piece. No, it turns out he's just actually like needs needs to be on medication. And uh, I will also, uh, you know, follow up that statement that he needs to be on medication with like, Yes, he should be on med. Like, please, like, take your meds. Like, yeah. I, I am a, I am such, a, I am an advocate of taking your medication. Um, actually, if if you've forgotten to take, listener, if you've forgotten to take your medication today, this is a reminder. Do it now. And I think that there was definitely this this sort of feeling about Laz at this point, given the two movies that he made, and given sort of the interviews he had given up to this point, where these 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 stories were coming out from the set and I really do think a lot of people were like, Oh, uh, this is just like kind of a, this is just building himself up. He's building himself up to be this like larger than life director. But you know, maybe, maybe in retrospect, this was sort of where a lot of the problems started. Uh, Cause I, I think he did get some sort of moment of catharsis making this movie. Oh, definitely. Cause all the other movies are chasing this movie. I think. Mm, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're, Either chasing or cleaning up after some of them have yeah. running shoes on. Some of them have brooms. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. one or the other. And you know, later we are going to argue about whether any of the, mo- of the movies that come after this kind of catch up to this movie. Uh, I, mm, yeah. We're going we're to argue about it. And I know we are, uh, <laughs> but we'll save that. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know which ones I would say would, if I were to say any did, but yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, uh, so I think he got some sort of moment of catharsis in this movie that he was trying to recreate through for the rest of his movie making career and the rest of the Marmoset Chronicles. And mm. I, I always feel shitty doing that. I always feel shitty trying to like psychoanalyze someone through their art um, because I would hate it if someone did that to me. <laughs> Right. Am I a bad person that I don't feel bad doing? I, I don't know. I guess I feel a little bad doing it, but also it's like, that's, you know, that's the lens we have, right? Like that is, yeah. that's the through line we have, especially in Laz's case, because he is this recluse who lives in Sri Lanka or wherever we, we, we thought it was. Like he is such a hard director to truly understand on a personal level that, you know, you have to understand someone through their work. Like that's, any director really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, h- how you do that here is so fascinating. And yeah, he absolutely got catharsis out of it. Like you said, the stuff with his family, I think he had so much like fear and anguish from his own upbringing and also guilt about stuff that happened with his parents once he got older, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you know, and there, there's stuff that's come out since then that we don't know need to believe her. Cause there's a bunch of legal cases about it that you can read if you need to. But I, I think he had, I think that man has the most emotions uh, on any topic about his childhood, about his family. And mm-hmm. this was the movie where he where not expelled all that, but like let all of that out for the first time. I think he plays with it in the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, he, he, he has, he had a, a brother who drowned under mysterious circumstances. And there's all those theories about his parents having had something to do with that. And that yeah. is like, that fuels into what happens, you know, in the first movie. But I, this is definitely the one where after this is made, something has been released from him that can never really be put back. And maybe never should. Maybe she you know, probably shouldn't. Yeah. And, you know, I think in some cases that really pushes his art forward. And I think in some cases that really hinders his art. Because there is such a thing as being too close to a subject. And I think the after this movie, I think the these movies are at their best when... Uh, Georgie is as far away from a self-insert character as possible. 
Oh, sure. Yeah. And this is, in a way, maybe the peak of when he... I don't know if it's the peak of when he is. Oh, I, no, I, I think no, no, no. It, it's it's the peak in the sixth one. Mm, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're it's, right. It's the peak in the sixth one to the sixth one's incredible detriment. Um, but this this one is um, but th- this this again this this feels like it earns it because of that cath- catharsis feeling. Yeah, absolutely. It, like it, it feels like. If Georgie is sort of a self-insert character at points in Diagnosis Aquamarine, it's because you can tell, you not even tell, you can feel that he is a self-insert for someone who is putting other parts of their life at equal measure into those other characters, into those yeah. other bits of set dressing. Okay. Everything is balanced, you know? It, it, it's, it's a balance between that and the outside world. It's not that he's a self-insert in an otherwise fully realized and uncaring world that doesn't have much to do with him. It's not, you know... Uh, an anime about a boy from the real world who gets traveled to a fan tra- sent to a fantasy land. Like no. it's, it's about, it's about any of us dealing with any trauma involving yeah. interpersonal relationships in any of our lives. It's also, um, uh, it's also very self-critical, which I think is sure. important. If you're going to put that much of yourself in any kind of character. I, so y- you talked about that, like, Oh, that, that moment of connection you had with the doll scene with, um, yeah. With his mom, I I have, uh, I have two very strong personal connections to this movie, uh, but they don't actually have to do that much with the movie itself. Okay, uh, they kind of have to do with stuff around the movie. The first is that um, I thought I was losing my mind every time I looked at the title for like years of my life because I would look at it and I'd be like, "That's not how you spell diagnosis, is it?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. It just, that word breaks my poor dyslexic brain. And I would look at it. I was afraid to say this movie's name for the longest time because I thought that um, I was saying it wrong. Oh my God. That's so fucking funny. Oh yeah. Marmoset Chronicles 3. Great movie. And I was like, oh, the fucking whatever aquamarine. How do I say that? It's literally just diagnosis. The word is just diagnosis. It's it's not a weird word. Dognosis aquamarine. Huh. Oh, God. Listen, it's okay. I I'm gonna tangent here for one second. I uh, <laughs> I used to think the word technique when I saw it written out loud was this is when I was a small child. Mm-hmm. I thought the word technique was pronounced technoquench. Yes, that'll happen. Yeah, at one point I was spelling the word soccer with two K's and a Q. Um, <laughs> uh, that's great though. That's just I, I, bizarro world soccer. <laughs> I, 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 I can't read. That's I can read, but I can't read. Um, That's okay, you're allowed. <laughs> my, my other, um, so yes, I have. I, I, I still sometimes look at this at at, at diagnosis aquamarine, and I'm like, what the fuck does that word say? It says diagnosis. <laughs> uh, the other is um, this was the first like this 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 was the first movie that that prompted like an old nerd lecture to me oh god no not really this wasn't really a bad experience uh it was just like the first time it had ever happened to me where i was um oh speaking of ruining my reputation so uh when i was a sophomore in high school i was the treasurer of my school's card fight vanguard club (laughs) hell yeah I was, I was, I, Kirsten, I have been counting down the episodes until that topic came up because it is amazing. Yeah, I was the, I was the, uh, I was the treasurer of that club. Um, and we would go to a local card store Mm -hmm. uh, to like play other players that weren't the like five or six people in this club. Uh, and it was, you know, it, it it was a, a lame local game store. Uh, they also sold comics and models and this, that, and the other thing. But there was there was a um like the it was like the owner's friend who would hang out there a lot. I think he played magic. He seemed like the kind of guy who's been like playing magic for two decades. Um, <laughs> the, those do have a distinct vibe about them. But it, this guy would you know very much a uh, sort of you know guy who's been playing magic for. 20 years hanging around a card shop uh mm-hmm. and 
I had, he gave me this like weird, passionate lecture about this movie when I was like 15. And honestly, I was sitting there like, okay, yeah, no, man, go off. Like, I will listen to, I will listen to you talk about like what it was like to see this movie four times in theaters. Like, go God. for it. I've never, I've never actually had this happen to me before. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's valid. Have you ever um gone to any of the like more recent screening, like one night only screenings they've done for theme theaters for some of these? Um, I have, but not for this one. Mm, um, I, I went to I went to one for um the Phantom and the Wren up at school. Um, nice. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we both um, went to that one. That was great. Yes, and I um went to um the anniversary of the eighth one. Oh wow! Uh, last year, I went to I I that was um that was my that was my like week after my birthday adventure. I went into the city to to the big one. Wow that that must have been an experience. I uh I did see this a screening for this one down in Albany maybe uh, eight months ago or so, and uh, it was it was a lot of people like the guy you just described who've been playing Magic for twenty years. It was it was it was a great time. It was. It was a lot of people from a lot of age ranges. It was a packed theater. It was it was yeah. fascinating, honestly. I, I and you know I will I will give these movies this this credit. Mm-hmm. Those fans are not nearly as annoying as they are in a lot of other movies that shall remain unnamed that came out in like a similar time frame. <laughs> uh, I'm sure I don't know what you're talking about, but if I did, I might agree with you. Yes. Um. And it, but yeah, especially especially going to, to to that eighth screening, that was like really just I was amazed by the amount of people there and how many like walks of life and age ranges and backgrounds they spanned, and how sure. you know how genuinely happy everybody was to be there. Everyone really wanted to see this, these movies and just sit down and be yeah. people in a group watching the marmoset chronicles and i i know that like you know as he's gotten older um laz has kind of you know not quite you know decried his creations but definitely been like meh 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 i'm old now and i'm not as happy with what i did in my younger years as i used to be meh 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 yeah. I, I think I think that that's nothing to scoff at, and the fact that people can still like sit down and watch all these movies is is really you know something he should embrace, as should everyone. Well, I mean, yeah, his famous last interview before he sort of vanished ended with him saying, "I'm tired of people talking about my movies like they fucking know me," and which is which is simultaneously so guttural and real, and also such a goddamn hot topic T-shirt of a You're, sentence. You are uh, right. But we, 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 yeah, we can talk about that in like a postmortem after we've gone through yes. the movies. But like, ah, oh, Jesus, um. Not to completely that that not to completely change topics, but I thought of one other thing that we should talk about here. Um, this was at, so in between Diagnosis Aquamarine and the next one is uh wait a minute, how does time work? Yeah, in between this one and the next one uh, is when DC Comics picks up the rights to do fucking Marmoset Chronicles comics. Hell yeah, they do. So strange. I, I, I'm looking. I, I can't find those digital. Do you know where I can read those? Yeah. Oh, no, it's, um, so I know there's some fan projects out there. Like there's, there's some project out there, uh, trying to digitize every bit of like ancillary Marmoset Chronicles media that they possibly can. Mm-hmm. I think they have some of them, but even they don't have all of them because they did not so well and did not go a lot of places. Um, but like, I, I did you ever have any of them? The comics or the ancillary stuff? The the comics. I know no. they came out decades before we were born, but did you see any of them? Have any of them in your no, hands? No, I straight up have not read any of them. Okay. They're fucking fascinating. Um right. and, well yeah, and you know, like I, I almost feel like we could do an episode about this if we wanted. We can talk about that later, but like just to go into it for a minute, like so yeah, uh, our, our teacher in school brought some in once because he had some, of course. You know, this is the same guy who is the reason my entire class, AV club class in middle school saw these movies of course he fucking had some comics um they all i don't know if this was like a licensing thing or if it was a um whoever was writing them thing but they they are all very distinctly based on the setting and like themes of obstacle core like really yeah specifically the marmoset chronicles too um it's all i think 
maybe the writer and artist were just fascinated by that city. It's not all mm. set in that city, but it's like set in places with similar vibes. It's almost mm. like in else worlds of what if that movie had been the the Pinterest board for the entire world of the Marmoset Chronicles. See, yeah. I've only seen some art from those comics. Um I, like I said, I've tried really hard to hunt them down to read them, but I cannot find them digitally, and they're really, really expensive. Oh, yeah. They're fucking expensive, and also they, they've never been collected, so I'd need to buy, like, all... What was it? It was a fifth. It was fifteen, right? It was a fifteen series maxi. Yes. Yeah. I, they've never collected them, so I'd have to buy fifteen really expensive comics, and it's sad. <laughs> I'd love to read them, but um. Yeah. No. Yeah. They're, they're for the, the art is very strange. Like, like it's um. Fuck. Let me let me like look up who is it. It was a DC Comics guy, Alan Moore, Grant Morrison. <laughs> I don't think it was. Can Alan you imagine Moore. the Marmoset Chronicles as reimagined by Grant Morrison? Wait, no, I need to wait. Hold on, I need to live in that okay. for just five seconds. Do it. Okay, I'm back. I hate. It. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, it was. Sorry. Yeah, there we go. Uh, penciled by Neil Adams, who did a lot of like Green Lantern stuff from that era. Era. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the, the the green Green Lantern. I, I think okay, Batman: Brave and the Bold, Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Oh, okay, yeah, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Strange Adventures of Dead Man, um, Superman versus Muhammad Ali, <laughs> okay. and some X Men stuff, and, and 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 the Marmoset Chronicles comics. Yeah, that's <laughs> just uh, all right. Wow, I I really would have thought it would be someone more like Small Time. Uh, it, like he's not super like you know he he's he's a known artist of that era he's not like the number one like yeah. you know he did he, he didn't do you know the death of superman or anything but like yeah and, and it, it, they're just crazy comics he does a pretty good job with the art they just go nuts with the concept of what that city in the second one looks like and what other places like that might look and georgie just having adventures in mm -hmm. them he he dates a, a, a woman named Tambria, which is not a real name, I don't think. <laughs> but she's his love interest in it, who turns out to be evil near the end. It gets very... It's its almost Mad Maxian in a way. What? Um, and George Miller, has, George Miller has talked about really liking those comics. And being like, yeah, I, I never talked to whoever came up with the way these comics look, but I wish I had. Uh, <laughs> if that person's still around, I want them to work with me on the next Mad Max. <laughs> he didn't say that, but I imagine he feels that way. That Yeah, that's um... There were a lot of weird ancillary stuff about the Marmoset Chronicles that started popping up around now. Um... Mm -hmm. They, you know, they could never be as big of, you know, like a toy franchise as like the your Star Warses and uh, really they weren't for that. Yeah, no, but there were definitely like there were definitely, you know, there was the cash grab merch because of course there was. There were a bunch of not great action figure sets. Uh, I'm trying to think of other like Marmoset Chronicles memorabilia. I, I, I do have, um, I, I do actually have, so it's fucked up. I have the action figure of Georgie's dad, um, but it is missing the goofy uh, coat turned vampire cloak <laughs> that he makes in the movie. Um, the figure comes with that, but mine is missing that. All right. I'm super sad about it. Uh, I know that they did some kind of book, like novelizations of the movies. Novelizations of movies are always pretty bad, so I've never really yep. had any interest in those. There, there were. Do you remember those weird rumors, like two or three years ago, that they were going to reboot this as a as a uh, TV series? Yeah, that yeah, was, I do. Well, well, I mean that that that, that they were pretty obviously not um not true because like, Laz Patillo would absolutely never let that happen. And yeah, like that. and he still owns like a big chunk of the rights of this. Like I, I know a lot of a lot of uh, creators are like, I never want anyone to touch this uh, material again. And then you know the person who the people who own it are like, aha! But what if we turned Watchmen into a TV show? Fuck you, Alan Moore. Yeah. Um, right. 
What if Fargo became a TV show two decades after that movie came out? Exactly, but um, I'm not sure if Fargo's good, but anyway. Uh, but I don't think um, I, I, but P- Patilla would simply never let it happen. I think no, with that- Mission Impossible, like the the um the studio and steal everything. Absolutely, absolutely. Like it's, I was trying to think what it's like. It, it's like if some if they tried to reboot The Godfather, like. Why would you do that? I, I, I Well, I mean, remember when they did a shot for shot remake of Psycho? Literally. I, li- okay, that. listen. What? I might watch a shot for shot remake of the Phantom of the Phantom and the Ren. I I might like if it was like a student project and someone was like, "All right, before I make my own shit, I'm going to make a shot for shot remake of one of the most influential movies of all time." I'd watch that. I I don't know. It's like um have you ever this is a really fascinating YouTube video uh, called Star-, "Star Wars Minus Star Wars," Ooh. which is uh, some. I've I've read Garfield minus Garfield. No, it's it's not as um, you know existentially hilarious as Garfield minus Garfield. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's this guy, this absolute maniac, recreated the first Star Wars movie using shots from other things. Oh my god. Is this re- this is real? Yeah, I need to watch that thing. right now. Thing. Episode canceled. Oh, uh, we can. Fuck. I I don't know if we can like share the link somewhere because I I, I do want I do think everyone <laughs> in the world should watch Star Wars: Might of Star Wars. But we can put it in the episode description for cool. sure. But um, th- there's just there's a lot of this is when this movie came out, and I think and everybody was like, "Fuck it, this is this is a cultural touchstone." Mm-hmm. These movies, these movies are the movies. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you just heard me. You just heard me rattle off at the beginning of this episode, like something like what was that? 25, 30 things. <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot. Just when you need, there's just there's you just have to do like two shots, and you're in this movie. Absolutely. Like it, it, it is. There. Are, ugh, fuck. If you want to talk about like images from movies that are seared into your brain and just make you think about the entirety of what they are from. Like, uh, there's just so many moments in this movie that are just so well-threaded between each other. Like you said earlier, everything is placed intentionally. Mm -hmm. Every line of dialogue is delivered in a way that could be taken as a criticism of another line of dialogue or a rebuttal to another line of dialogue from a completely different part of the movie. There is just so much... like. At, you know, like, we, like, we're not moving linearly, but, like, at that climax, when Georgie's mom is standing, when Isabella is standing in the backyard over the body of the guy who was trying to break into their home, her arms drenched in blood, and she just, like, th- there's something so defiant uh, about her standing there like a fucking lion holding a gazelle in its mouth. And... She just looks at Georgie and just says, never again. That's the last line of the movie. Mm-hmm. And there have been people who, and again, part of that is such what, what amazing physical acting there is in that scene. Like, yeah. but yeah, no, uh, Olivia McIntyre is an incredible physical actress. And, you know, we, she doesn't really show up in that much other stuff after this either. Cause why would you need to, when you're making Marmoset Chronicles money by the end of things? Oh yeah. But like, but, but like, yeah, Olivia McIntyre in this movie holds herself like like she is feeling this character coursing through her fucking veins mm-hmm. and if she moves wrong she'll fucking break every capillary in her body and that like delivery of just that final two words mm-hmm. and every emotion across her face in a lot of ways this is more her movie than it is georgie's mm-hmm. and people like there's been so much fucking debate over what she is saying when she says that mm-hmm. like because it's after all these big conversations between her and georgie and georgie and his dad and his dad and, and her like there's just uh every word means 10 different things in this movie and i find new things every time i watch it and that's i think that's what you look for in media that truly fascinates yeah. you and that's why this one is my favorite is because this one does that the most of maybe any movie I've ever seen in my life. Okay. So as, as we're moving towards sort of the end of this episode, I think I have, I have two, I have two more things. I have two more things. The first is I'm going to present you with an, with a possibly controversial opinion about this movie that I, Mm -hmm. okay, you ready? 
You did this to me last time, and I said horseshit dog cock a lot. <laughs> I, I I don't think this will make you angry, but I I, I, I do want to know <laughs> okay. what you think about it. I do, and sure. I did not. I I don't think that coma theory is true. This is an opinion that um I sort of hold. Okay. Diagnosis Aquamarine is a horror movie. Yeah, I I, I can see that. It um, <laughs> have I talked to you about the movie Mother? The the Darren Aronofsky movie. Yeah, like. It is so I, I love that movie and it terrifies the fucking shit out of me. Like I love that movie and it is actively difficult for me to watch because of how much it just like physically alarms me. Okay. That movie does that way more than something like Diagnosis Aquamarine. But I, I think I could see calling Diagnosis Aquamarine a horror movie from a similar place in terms of the way the crescendo from the interpersonal mm-hmm. tension of what's going on in it manifests I, I i can totally see that yeah see i call this i call this an, uh, a horror movie mostly because i don't really know what else to call it because huh. no other be, movie genres exist as blueprints that's why mm-hmm. we have a genre that's sure. why that's that's why because we as 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 strange little human bio machines like to categorize stories mm-hmm. the arc of this movie only makes sense if you consider it a horror movie and I think that's why, and I think Laz knew this going into it. And I think that's why he put some of the visual cues in there that he did. Because other than being a, you know, really cool visual mo- motif that says a lot about Jessica and is um and Isabella and all of the kind of relationships in this, in this movie. Other than that, the only reason why you would put weird dolls in a movie is to signify you're in the horror genre. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I, I, I. Personally, the dolls I hadn't really thought of in that angle, but I can totally see it. That so that's my that's my uh, that's my hot take on this movie. My hot take on okay, the movie yeah. is, uh, the, which you know it's not even a hot take because you can't have a hot take on a movie that's been talked about for as long as these, this movie has been talked about. You can't when there there have been so many theses written about this movie. You 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 can't have a hot take. But that's my attempt at it is that it is a horror movie, and Laz knew it was a horror movie. Because what is more horrifying than your family? Fuck. I, I, I think you just won me over. I, I wasn't really against you at any point there, but I think that kind of... Yeah, I, I, I would not disagree with you at all when you put it like that. Holy fuck. Um, What's your second thing, Kirsten? My, what is my second thing is that what the fuck does Diagnosis Aquamarine mean? What is the title? Um... Okay, fuck. So most theories seem to revolve around it or revolved around it having to do with uh, Elizabeth's attempts to diagnose Harold, um, mm-hmm. whether or not he has like schizophrenia or something, you know, something that would actually manifest. I don't know if schizophrenia would. I apologize if that's a bad read. Um, if he has some sort of mental condition that would lead him to have states where he believes he's a vampire. Um <laughs> And 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 that, there's a lot of theories around that. There's a lot of theories around. Oh, aquamarine is a kind of blue, uh, which you know is opposite red, which is the color blood. Is is that something? You know, uh, there are people who feel that the title of that movie is proof that that he's a vampire. I don't think that's true, but I I enjoy how kind of silly but trying that that theory is. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Is <laughs> so there are. There, there is a lot of use of blue in the house in certain places, but like, I mean, you know, Laz loves his color. We've talked about his beautiful sunsets, um, mm-hmm. and we get some of those in this movie too, in that giant window looking out on the backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they open the door into Jessica's room, there is a lot of emphasis on like darker tones, but very bright blue things mm-hmm. in that room. Um, and then... At the end, and then near the end of the movie, you th- 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 there is that whole scene by moonlight when when you know the person's first breaking into the house, and it's a full moon out, and that moon is is like very ethereally ethereally blue. And there's a lot of theories that diagnosis aquamarine just has to do with him giving a name to his own use. Last Patillo giving a name to his own use of color in oh. the movie, which is like just basic enough. That it's not something that rabid theorists on Reddit would come up with, but could be the truth. <laughs> no, I honestly that that's the one I buy into the most. Um, mostly because I think in a in a lot of especially names 
sometimes just go with what sounds cool. You know, with what's going to get people in seats. Definitely. Uh, yeah, definitely. And we, yeah, we, we've talked about that before. How Labs definitely do that sometimes. Yeah, but um, you know, when it comes down to it, like there's, I, I just, yeah, I, I, that's what that's what I would guess. But I, I, I just just wanted to hear your take on it because this, you know, yeah. the, movie, the movie title I could not read for so long. Uh, <laughs> that mocks me. Um, yeah, I, I like. I don't know. I, I guess that's that's how I've thought about it. Is is you know. There are probably deeper readings than that. I mean, there's, there probably certainly are, but I, I think that reading makes sense is like diagnosis aquamarine. Like you don't see that use of very pronounced blue that makes you notice it in the cinematography of the movie until they open that door and you see into that bedroom. And then the fact that you do after that, like when, you know, they, they, they go in there cause Georgie's looking for, for an old photo. Um, but once it's once that door is opened, it can't be closed, right? Mm-hmm. And as we said earlier, once this movie is made, there's something about Laz Patillo and the way he directs and the way he just lives his life that can't really be put back. Yep. Um, and and I, I, I think there's something to be said for that. Whether maybe he was self-diagnosing, you know? Maybe he named it that because he realized, oh, this is changing me in a irrevocable way, mm-hmm. much like for Isabella in that movie, when she's watching him open that door and going into the room, she doesn't really stop him, but there's just this frozen look on her face. Mm-hmm. And you, you get the sense that this is, you know, this is uh Indiana Jones taking the, uh, the, the, the idol off of the thing in the start of the first Indiana Jones movie yeah. that starts the ball. Once that ball starts rolling down towards him, it's not going to stop. Oh like, yeah. And the, the, the this movie signifies a turning point in both textual and metatextual ways. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that's, I, I think the title reflects that in a way that only really works within the text of this movie, mm-hmm. but only really needs to work within the text of this movie. Yeah. I, I guess that's, sorry. I just, I just walked us towards a much deeper me- reading that I gave you a minute ago, but I guess that's where I'm at with it. And to kind of put one last little, Probably two meta reading on this as we uh, as we reach the end. I think I think we're reaching the end. Yeah. Of, of this of 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 this episode. Um. This is a story, or at least part of the story, is about a stranger and a thief trying to get into somebody's home, and uh, when they get in there, it ki- the 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 secrets kill them. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I, I wonder. I wonder what we could project that onto. I, I have always enjoyed the good old the the thief is the audience and the house is either Laz and his family or just Laz reading. Oh yeah, it's a lot of fun. That that's and I think it's it's great. I think that if that isn't how Laz sees himself, that is how the public perceives that Laz sees himself. Um. And oh then, wait, are you saying you, you feel like Laz is the thief or that Laz no, no, is no, that, the... that Laz uh, that, that that reading with Laz is, is the house. Yeah. Okay, okay. I was going to yeah. say. Yeah. Uh, I I think and um I and honestly, I I I have never Laz does this thing for a few movies here. It kind of started with with the the thieves in the last one and continues here where his villains aren't always gigantic characters. Like mm-hmm. th- that thief is his you know that's a minor character, except for what he does. Like, yeah. What he does is much more important than who he is. Mm-hmm. I, I think there are points where Isabella is the antagonist of this movie. I think there's points where Isabella is the protagonist and, you know, and, and, and Georgie's the antagonist. Mm-hmm. I think there are readings where, where you could even argue that, um, um, that Harold is the antagonist. And, and that's always fun to do. I, I, I enjoy that kind of deconstruction of that relationship a lot in anything. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah I, I think, I, I don't know if that says something about how much or little stock Laz Patillo puts in his audience. Like the fact that, let's, let's say the thief is the audience, is an audience surrogate. Okay. The fact that that thief is not much of a character outside of just being a force that, penetrates this family's home what does that say about how Laz Patillo sees his audience is it that he doesn't understand them is it that he doesn't want to is it that he's afraid of them or he wants does he want to be Isabella at the end of the movie Uh with with his arms drenched in his fans blood like there is so much there and I I know 
I know now we're just getting into that territory of shit that people have written college theses on uh-huh. for years. But this is why this is my favorite well, movie in this series. And one of my favorite movies is it is just such an interesting look into his head. And to kind of push back on that, this idea that, mm-hmm. you know, what does this mean? Well, how does how does Laz see his audience if the thief is the audience? And, and, and how that relates to the fact that the thief doesn't really have a character. Except in some very specialized circumstances, the audience is almost never a character in a piece of fiction. Mm-hmm. So maybe it could just yeah, be that no, that's the, 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 the audience, unless you're, um, you're, 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 you know, participating in some kind of unfiction thing. There's a lot of online media where the audience is kind of a character, but I guess, so I, I think you're right. I, see, now I'm trying to think of other media where there's such a big case for the antagonist being the audience. And I know there are ones. And as soon as we're done talking about it, I'm going to think of 10 different ones. I mean, most of the ones I can think of where, where the audience is like like actively a villain. Most of the ones I can think of are like like web series. Not even actively a villain. I, I, I mean, like where the audience surrogate, the character that's sort of supposed to represent that, if one is, is the antagonist. You know what? All right. This is a stretch. Okay. <laughs> Walk with me here. Oh, God. Have you ever seen the movie Robber? The Tire movie? The Tire movie. The Psychic Tire movie. Have you ever seen Rubber the Psychic Tire movie? Some of it. I have never finished that movie. Okay, I, so this is not me memeing. I, I would legitimately recommend you do sometimes. It's actually like a really fascinating movie. That movie is about the, the like the endless audience desire to be just fed more content no matter what okay the the whole like the, do, you, do you remember the part of that movie where it's a bunch of people out in the desert watching the plot of the movie with binoculars yes so what eventually happens with that is that like a guy from that goes on and like creates reasons for the psychic tire to keep doing things mm-hmm. because there's a, an audience out in the desert out there who are good goddamn paying customers. Mm-hmm. And this tire is going to keep rolling and doing shit no matter what. And it, 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 it actually, it, I don't know. I think that movie's really good. Okay. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's a movie that has something to say about like pushing a main character to the limit because of the wills of an audience no matter what makes sense for that main character, even if the main character is reduced to being a tire. <laughs> like that, it, it's a genuinely fascinating movie for that. And I'm thinking about that now in terms of Laz, in terms of yeah. how he sees that audience. I, I, huh. And I, I think a lot of the, a lot of the ones I'm thinking of, I kind of, I kind of went, I think the opposite direction or a lot of, a lot of stuff where like on some level, you as the audience need to like acknowledge that you are, contributing to the characters you are watching suffering by consuming the media uh <sighs> which is why i went with like the uh which is why i went with like web series because a lot of like uh-huh. found footage web series um sometimes like straight out call out like why are there people watching this we're going through a terrible situation um yeah can i ask you as a general question sure. I, I recognize this is a giant side note do you, do you like that as oh, a thing um I like it when it's done correctly um, and when it's mostly just a nod to the medium that the story's being told in. Um, mm-hmm. I think it pretty much only works in audience participatory web content. Stuff like, like Slenderman YouTube series and stuff um, like I'm that, like basically. Specifically Marble Hornets. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, so was I. <laughs> Stuff where, like, you do have to, like, acknowledge, you do have to acknowledge, like, okay, like, if I buy into the immersion, I'm actually watching these people, like, suffer, but I, but then I have to break my immersion and realize that it's part of this, that by buying into it, I'm participating in the story. I'm not going to go far, too far into it. I could, I could spiel on this for hours. I think it's interesting. Yeah. I think it's an interesting question. But yes, um, I like it only in basically only in situations like that where you need okay. to, where you as the audience are a part of the story and you need to acknowledge that. But um, mm-hmm. I think if you do that in an actual movie, it's dumb. <laughs> okay, good. That that was my main thought there because I I'll be honest, I 
I think it's fucking pretentious and lazy most of the time it crops up in any medium of fiction. I I think if you're going to make the audience feel bad for creating a piece of media, then you should be making the thing about you feeling bad for creating the piece of media because you're at as much fault as anyone. And yes, I say that being a fan of Neon Genesis Evangelion and knowing how the last two episodes of that show go. Um, but like, I'm biting my tongue every time you bring up Neon Genesis Evangelion. I know you are, and that's kind of why I do it. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Um, but no, I, I, I don't know. I, I agree with you in cases like Marble Hornets, though, because yeah, you are participating. You are having more engagement. I, anything else, though, that that is like trying to make the audience feel better, like feel, I don't know. making the audience question their own roles of viewer. I just, I just find it pretentious and not that interesting to think about. Maybe that makes me a bad consumer of media. It's just not something that engages me. It's, it's, you know, like, no, I I don't know. It's like, it's, it's like a a bad gotcha. Like it, it's, Mm, I I understand what you mean. Um, it's like, I'm going to tell you why fiction is bad by writing a novel. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. Is there anything else you want to say about Diagnosis Aquamarine? Like, I, I could go on, but I feel like I've kind of said all I need to say. I think I've said all I need to say, too. Um, I think that if you only watch one Marmoset Chronicles movie, you should watch this one. Um, this is yeah. coming from, this, this is not my favorite Marmoset Chronicles movie, but um, I do think it is the most important. Um... I yeah that's 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 kind of what I've I I think I've said everything I need to say about it you know real quick one last thought I had is um going back really quickly to what we were talking about about Laz Patillo on set for this for this um there there were way fewer behind the scenes things on the VHS for this one yeah and it's so interesting to me and this goes back to what I was saying earlier about you know the questions I always have about, about how the crew felt about making the movie. Um, there are people who have gone on record, people on the crew, on the set actors who've gone on record saying, we're not going to be in inter- Like we'll be interviewed on the most surface level possible about this movie. We will not answer any deeper questions about what it was like making it with Laz because we watched right there with him and supported him through him making this. And we saw what it did to him. And we just want to let it speak for itself unless he wants to speak. Like, as far as we know, this stuff didn't even come from him asking them to say this. They just said like, Hey, we'll talk about, Oh yeah, we had fun making this movie. Enjoy it. You know, when interviewed about it, but we will not talk mm-hmm. about Laz's relationship with this movie. Yeah. We will not talk about it. We, we, that would be like asking us to comment on his like parents' funerals. Like mm-hmm. we are not crossing that line. Mm-hmm. That's for him and him alone. Yep. And I just think that's really fascinating. Absolutely. Uh, with that, Kirsten, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kirsten M. Writes. And I'm also, uh, also on Instagram at Kirsten Me and Writes. Um, you can come watch me descend into madness as I try to write sonnets. Cause that's what I've decided I'm going to do as a project now because i am um hell yeah um jay where can they find you on the internet you can find me on twitter at extreme salsing you can also find me on youtube at hi i'm jay also uh this week as we're recording this which is kind of week one of a lot of people working from home uh i've been twitch streaming a little bit just on some like spare nights uh you can find me at twitch.tv slash extreme salsing um, I've been doing some Nuzlocke challenge stuff in some weird, uh, fan-made ROM hacks of Pokemon games. Nuzlocke challenges are just a hard mode thing for people who don't speak internet Pokemon garbage nonsense. Um, but that's been fun. And I, I've actually really enjoyed putting on like a live show for people. Uh, I'm going to keep doing that. I think. Nice. Also, we should we should mention uh, we are on the Orange Groves Podcast Network and extremely thankful to be there. Um, we got our album art for this for, because of that, which is incredible. Thank you, as always, to everyone on the network. If you want to listen to a podcast on the network, I would recommend this week. You know what? I, I recommended them a couple a couple episodes ago when I edited it in, but I would actually recommend Nervous Rex because we've talked about Evangelion a couple times here. And by then, they will actually be, I think, talking about, if not the last episode of Evangelion, the second to last. So that's a really... If you want another really good show discussing a really good series of thing whether it's movie or show, that is an extremely good one with uh, one return viewer and one first time viewer. I want you to know you said really good and I made air quotes. 
Okay. You're, <laughs> You're wrong, but allowed. It's the bits. It's, it's I, I. I'm not gonna say it's the best TV show ever made. I'm gonna say it's my favorite TV show ever made. Okay. Anyway, we're at the end of a podcast, Kirsten. We can't do this. We're at the end of a podcast. I'm not going to walk into this trap. Anyway, uh, join us next week where we're actually, this is a good segue, next week where you will hear Jay and I argue. Yeah, fucking Christ. Where you're going to hear Jay and I argue as we we discuss um, movie four of the Marmoset Chronicles, The Shadow Kit. (laughs) The fucking, oh, Kirsten, I want you to know. Yeah. You're my friend, mm-hmm. and I love you as my friend, mm-hmm. and I value your opinions, mm-hmm. even if we shout at each other a lot oh, next week. So join us next week. Listen to us yell at each other. Um, I and um, I'm sure I'll bring up Jay's taste in anime. Uh, oh, have no. a great week. Um, hold on in these trying times. We'll get through it. We love you all. Mm-hmm.